Welcome back to America Speaks. It is a privilege today for us to have Garrett Reppenhagen join us for this episode. Garrett is the son of a Vietnam veteran and grandson of two World War II veterans. He served in the U.S. Army as a cavalry scout sniper in the 1st Infantry Division. Garrett completed a deployment in Kosovo on a nine-month peacekeeping mission and a combat tour in Bakuba, Iraq. Garrett gained an honorable discharge in May of 2005 and began working as a veterans advocate and a dedicated activist. He served as the chairman of the board of Iraq Veterans Against the War, worked in Washington, D.C. as a lobbyist and as a vice president of public relations for the Nobel Prize winning Veterans for America, as program director for Veterans Green Jobs, and was the Rocky Mountain director for Vet Voice Foundation. Garrett lives in Colorado, where he now serves as the executive director for Veterans for Peace. Oh, it's so delightful, Garrett, to have you back on our program. And I want to congratulate you on your new role as executive director of Veterans for Peace. Thank you so much. Well, it's it's always an honor to, to be on the show. And uh yeah, it's it's a great fit for me with Veterans for Peace. I feel like I'm I'm finally coming home again in the anti-war movement, and it's a, it's a great opportunity for me. Today, I want to get a greater sense from you, as honestly as you can put it, the horrifying events that we have seen in the last twelve days or so in northern Syria with our lunatic commander-in-chief, and I'm happy to say it like that, that's an understatement, who has created a situation that has toppled any sense of slight stability in the region with the full abandonment of our allies, the Kurds. I'd like you to just give us a sense of your thoughts from soup to nuts on what the conditions are from your interpretation and truly what is going to be the collateral damage here in the region from this insanity. Well, I mean, uh, regionally, it's a difficult situation. You know, the Kurds occupy an area called Rojava. And, uh, you know, since really the conflicts in Iraq and then Syria uh, really allowed them opportunities for the first time to control an independent region of their own, you know, unofficially recognized by a lot of folks. But uh, people use the term Kurdistan, but Kurdistan is not actually a country. It's just a recognized region. And uh, Rojava encompasses a lot more people than just the Kurdish people. I think they're the majority ethnic minority there. But there's a lot of other folks that live in that area that have sought refuge under really an ideological equality that the Kurdish people helped put into power there. And uh, it's an amazing civilization, amazing, amazing culture. They're the, one of the most uh, progressive, radical cultures, I think, on Earth right now. And to see that level of quality, especially with the way they have handled uh, patriarchy and gender equality, is really uh, inspiring. You know, they've been able to do that a lot under the protection of the U.S. government because of alliances with them. And uh, their help and sacrifices, really, that they've made 
in the fight against ISIS and other radical extremist organizations have been uh, really a huge asset for, I think, the entire world. And the amount of people that died are up into the tens of thousands in the fight with ISIS. You know, I mean, there's one thing to say that we pulled out American troops and that's what allowed this to happen. But really what it was is President Trump gave the green light for Turkey to go ahead into that region. Whether there were troops there or not, we should have never just given an okay for that sort of slaughter to begin. They're using militias and uh, vigilante groups uh, to go in there and to spread chaos and to assassinate people. It's really disgusting. There's been 170,000 estimated refugees from the conflict. Who knows how many people have been killed at this point. And the SDF is doing all they can to push back and resist the Turkish fighters and have made alliances with Syria now, with Assad, to try to create some sort of resistance of that occupation. And furthermore, the Turkish leaders have said that if anybody calls it an occupation, then they'll start to expel 3.6 million refugees that are temporarily living in Turkey right now. It's just a really desperate situation. The Kurdish people is the largest ethnic group in the world without a country of their own. You know, they live in this area called Rojava, which is, you know, in a large extent, parts of Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. And uh, they were really our allies. You know, we are, I remember when I served in Iraq, we would take R&R trips up to northern Iraq into the Kurdish areas because they were safe and secure for U.S. soldiers where we could finally put down our weapon for a few days and go swimming and relax in the pool without thinking about the conflict. And now here we are turning our backs on these people and greenlighting the Turkish armies to go in there and do what they've wanted to do for a long time. And that's that slaughter them. Yeah, we've greenlit their demise. It is an ethnic cleansing, right? Isn't that what we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, we've we've heard ages ago, you know, the Turkish leaders asked how they're going to deal with the Kurdish problem. And some they've said sometimes, you have to burn the carpet to get rid of the fleas. In some aspects, it's history about the PKK and a lot of the terrorist actions that have gone on in Turkey, but there's still current fighting there. And there's Turkish people who are Kurdish living in Turkey that uh, want their independence and you know, want to be recognized. It, it really is a fight. So when you hear people call Kurds terrorists, they're really talking about the PKK and they're talking about a resistance that's a lot like the IRA resistance in Ireland some time ago. So it's an oppressed people that are looking for independence within a nation. And they use the mountains in and around that region to rest and recuperate and train and prepare and it's long since been a target of Turkey to kill and destroy them. So now Trump has basically given them the opportunity to do that. Despite how everybody feels of where our place is in the region as a whole, what's mystifying is the conduct or the quality of decision-making that we are unfortunately part of being represented by now as a country. There is no way that we can avoid, I think, almost irreputable collateral damage from these actions. This is not to say that what led up to this, as we have seen for three years now, has not diminished all sense of integrity and humanity, and we needed to improve that. We literally are a joke 
as far as how you would describe this great nation that is supporting freedom and, you know, is the most powerful nation of the world. I think, is there any way you see any mitigation from the results we're seeing here in the region? It's uh, it's going to be difficult, you know. I mean, we, we have a president who's very superficial, you know, very greedy. A lot of this is believed to be his connections with money in the country of Turkey and his hotels there. He's allowing the slaughter of these people for a hotel. You know, I think he'd sell his own children for a shiny rock. So it's, it's just embarrassing. And our inability to maintain allies and uh, really hold up to our deals has been immensely destructive to our international credibility and any sort of agreement that we make as a nation is seen by most of the world as false or not withholding depending on the whims of the next president that's kind of come into power. So if we're so easily going to break our international agreements like the nuclear deal with Iran and our alliances with war allies, then where are we as a nation? You know, I think at this point, Trump needs to do all he can to push back against Turkey to tell them that it's not okay and try to sue for peace before this escalates into a, a, a much larger conflict. You know, this has the potential of absorbing in a lot of other nations and really resulting into a more conventional conflict, one that we haven't seen in a long time. So Absolutely. And and this makes me first of all question or ever have any full resolve of that I don't think he can ever do another thing that's going to impress anyone to have a sense of respect to have alliances with us. That's number one. And number two, what I'd love to get your feedback on is what about those serving in our military today? You personally know the cost of war, the price you paid, the price your fellow veterans paid and continue to pay for this very complicated efforts that were made to uh, perhaps take down ISIS or to combat terrorism as we like to describe it. I think, unfortunately, it gets described and put into a large pool that represents everything, and I don't think it is everything. But I do think there's no question now, not only have we dismantled all those efforts, but what we really have done, which I think is as bad, is we have literally destroyed everyone's hope for us to be good partners, to respect alliances. That's gone out the window, right? You know, I don't know if, if we've had that in a, in a very long time, to tell you the truth. But, you know, Trump is saying that sometimes people just have to fight it out like two bullies in a schoolyard. You know, that doesn't make the dead Kurdish people right now feel any better. You know, that doesn't give any consultation to the families of the people who've been slaughtered at this point and continue to be killed. So it's it's a very poor analogy. He's a fool. He has no idea what it means to be in any kind of combat. Uh, not only that, uh, the fact that he would send Pence to do his bidding for him and that this is looking like an even more disgusting reality show with victory and we made a deal. I mean, this is not a TV program. I can't even begin to imagine. Are you hearing reports from those that you know that are currently serving or those that have feedback on this? How do you represent this country today with this commander in chief? Well, I, I know a lot of my fellow soldiers have put a tremendous amount of skin in the game, working with the Kurdish people. You know, our special forces have been there for a long time, working with their militaries. 
there's a lot of hurt feelings within the U.S. military right now from the amount of effort and uh, really emotional connection that they put into supporting the Kurdish people. You know, I hear all the time amazement at the, their ability to fight and their resolve. They're really a, a different military, and I think it stems from their ideology of equality. And I'm not surprised that Trump actually wouldn't like them because they're, they're social anarchists. Every position they elect, whether it's a governor or a mayor, they elect two people, a man and a woman, in every position of power. So it's really seen as equals. You could ask any Kurdish fighter about the women warriors, and they'll all say that they just couldn't do it without the women. So that sort of society, I'm sure, just repulses everything that Trump is about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Plus also, you know, it's modern. It's modern in a region that is desperate to join the rest of the world. Are we in a bigger battle here today, internationally, with truly recognizing what you're talking about in terms of how we analyze, how we approach not only governance, but respect and tolerance? Are we fighting for that? You know, I think if you ask most of the Kurdish people, that's what they're fighting for. And I, I think they'd probably be offended at, at the idea that they want to join the rest of the world. I think they want the rest of the world to join them. Because in a lot of ways, they're far past where we are with our systems of economics and politics. So it's a, it's a hard situation. But yeah, certainly it resembles a lot of the fights that we're having now throughout the world with the Me Too movement and with a fight against patriarchy and a fight against, you know, the colonization attitudes that we have that support our institutions still, they're already doing it. And it'd be a shame if we allow that just to be slaughtered in an ethnic cleansing by Turkey. You know, I hate to have to quote, I am going to quote Mitt Romney here yesterday, who actually put it quite specifically of having the bloodstain of this policy on us. You know, it's not to say we haven't had that stain for a long time, way back to Vietnam, there's no question in my interpretation. But I think what I foresee, and I'm really quite frightened about it, is I don't know that we have enough time between now and 2020 to have hope that this isn't gonna escalate beyond anyone's control almost as if it was premeditated as the great big distraction that could take people's minds off of the everyday bullshit that comes out of this White House. You know, I think Mitt Romney's a politician. He's going to say whatever it takes to be elected. I don't count on him doing the right thing if he gets into office. But we got to put political pressure on Donald Trump directly because he has to be worried about his reelection as well. So if there's any hope at all, it's to show that this isn't wanted by the American people. And it might determine whether he'll continue as our president for another four years. And that could be possible. I think there could be pressure put on Turkey directly. Veteransforpeace.org. We have a take action right now to call the Turkish embassy directly in Washington, D.C. on Massachusetts Avenue there. You can plead with them to stop this bloodshed. It shouldn't take armed U.S. military troops deployed all around the world to keep the peace. So we have to figure out a better way. And we need to directly confront these other countries as well. No, and this is a civilian fight. This is a fight that we should be learning to wage so we can get beyond the toxic oppression 
that seems to overtake everything we stand for. And I am urging all of you out there to please call the Turkish embassy. And what I also am urging you to do is take the number, write what you feel, put it out on all your social media, because we want these calls to be coming in from around the world. Do you have a number for the Turkish embassy in Washington, Garrett? I do. The Turkish embassy is at 202-612-6700. This is also an opportunity for all of us to realize that we have greater power than these people who are supposedly speaking for us, who are in fact creating this ongoing massacre of our allies. You know, in closing, I want to say in your role right now as Executive Director of Veterans for Peace, to me, it's just tragically symbolizes what you are fighting for, Garrett. It's like to never see our world get to a situation of what we're looking at now in northern Syria. Yeah, unfortunately, probably not the last time we're going to be calling for peace in this administration. So we have to stay organized and mobilized and we have to have our voice heard. Is there a way we could boycott anything that would send another kind of economic message? Yeah, I'm not sure what boycotts we can do that directly could impact the the Turkish economy. You know, we're talking about sanctions already. And a lot of these actions, they hurt the regular people in Turkey. They'll hurt people in those nations. And yeah, that might account to some sort of political pressure on the politicians there. But there has to be something more direct. We have to think of a, a more direct way to really put pressure on the leadership in Turkey as well. So we'll continue to figure out ways to organize and find some solutions. So all of our uh, social media on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, we're always trying to think of ways that people can take action and, and actually make a difference. So look for something coming our way. Absolutely. Follow it closely because it's not us individually. It's the we. And I say that proudly because it's beyond time that we all come together. You know, we have to move beyond this era of our civilization. We have to focus on a positive way to approach life and not take it. That's what I'm looking at here. I'm afraid of madness. I'm afraid that madness is possible in history. We have seen it, that occasionally madness erupts in history. And uh, the only way, I believe, to prevent that madness would be to remember. If we remember that things are possible, then I believe memory can become a shield. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Uh, again, I want to invite everyone to subscribe to America Speaks podcast. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Anchor, and Libsum. And please get in touch with us. This is your time to be loud, angry, active, and heard. Let us know if you have subjects that we have not covered that you would like to hear about. And a big announcement today. You can now find my forthcoming book, We Protest, Fighting for What We Believe In, on Amazon under Rizzoli Books in a pre-sale offer before it is released on March 10th. And stay tuned for all the exciting news on my book signings, speaking engagements, and exhibitions across the country. 
We are a powerful voice, each and every one of us. And if you protested for anything in the past three years, I bet you may find yourself in my book. And lastly, I want to thank James Koblenz and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And remember, America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice. Oh.